Just like Pastor Noah was saying uh, at the open, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. You've got a story, and you've got a story because of Jesus. And it's, uh, it's incredible. It's, it is. And we've been talking about that. Last week, I gave a preface to this series that we're calling Incredible Christmas. And it's incredible, which is a, a play on words of sorts, uh, because incredible embodies two words. Incredible the first, incredible. And that is a feature of our faith in Jesus. It's both. It's both. When we just take time to ponder the universe and marvel all that God's hand has created and the creative power of God Almighty, when we consider that God set aside all of his glory to become a man here on earth in the person of Jesus, when we reflect on all of the signs and the wonders and the things that Jesus did when he walked the earth, when we meditate on the sacrifice that he made for us by giving his life as an offering and an atonement for our sin, and when we go beyond that and contemplate the resurrection that he rose from the dead, and then he poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. All seems unbelievable. But it's believable. It's incredible. But it's fully and entirely credible. As incredible as it is, our faith in Christ is rational. It's reasonable. And we talked about that last week because there's tangible evidence for our faith. There is a mountain, just a huge mountain of tangible evidence that says everything about Jesus is completely believable. It can be trusted. It is credible. And so it's with that premise, with that premise of our faith, both incredible and credible, with that premise, we focus on some of the aspects of our faith that encompass fully and completely that word, incredible and yet credible. And one of those aspects of our faith is that as the mortal birth of an immortal God, God, the immortal one, in Jesus took on flesh and blood and he lived as we do. We feel, we feel physically, we feel emotionally, we feel pain, all of it. He lived life, Jesus did life. The same life we live here, he adhered to the laws of gravity and physics and all of it. And despite all of the things that we experience in life, the joys, but also the pains and the sorrows and the sufferings and the trials and the tribulation, there is something, there's something inside the, the human spirit. It's innate in the human spirit that craves to live forever. And I don't know if you've heard of a guy named Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson, he founded a, a payment processing company called it Braintree. And then Braintree acquired Venmo. I, I don't know if you know Venmo. A lot of people know Venmo. They pass cash back and forth. It's a great little app. 
well, then he took that combined company of Braintree and Venmo and he sold it off to PayPal. 800 million bucks. Not a bad day. He walked away with 300 million. So, so Johnson walks away with 300 million. He's, he's, now he's 46. And what's he doing? What do you do when you get 300 million bucks and you're 46? You know what he's doing? He is focusing on living forever. That's his quest. He wears t-shirts that say, don't die. Uh, Time Magazine did an expose on him uh, earlier in the year. And I, I share with you some of the things about, uh, about Johnson from the, this article, and I, I had another one. It says, Johnson spends up to $2 million a year on an experimental program, program he calls Project Blueprint in the hopes of reducing his biological age and ultimately living forever. Get this, it says his intense reg regime includes things like taking more than 100 supplements per day. He takes 111 pills every day. He wears a baseball cap that shoots red light into his scalp like this uh, uh, laser light, right? Uh, he aims to eat 70 pounds of vegetables a month, having his final meal before 11 a.m. And at one point, experimenting with blood plasma transfusions from his teenage son. And that was big news, too. I don't know if you know, read that about this guy. He'd hook up to his own son and take his blood plasma, thinking, you know, this is going to make him younger. He's going to cheat age and cheat life. But it says he stopped that because he, he discovered there was really no benefits in it. And reading about him, it, it, this guy was motivated a little bit, I think. I think just from reading some of this, and I don't know him or anything, but uh, fear. When he gets into a car, he's got, an electric, uh, he's got an electric Audi, and he gets in and he says a mantra before he starts driving. And he says, driving is doing... Uh, Driving is the most dangerous thing we do. Driving is the most dangerous thing we do because he doesn't want to die. He says, boy, wouldn't it be ironic if I got hit by a train or something because he's trying to live forever. Can't, you know, you, can't, you can do all the vegetables, but you can't stop a train. So he, he does seem to have that figured out. Drives, the, the, the author of the article was driving through L.A. with him. He was going a full 16 miles an hour. Doesn't want to crash. See, this guy has personified this innate crave to live forever. And he's got the money to try to do it. And I'll tell you what, I could spend two million bucks a year way differently than 70 pounds of vegetables a month. That's for sure, but whatever. You know, some, they might think it would be great. It would just be great to live forever uh, in this world. Some wish it for others. Uh, for example, for kings. The subjects of many kings have said, long live the king. Or, O king, may you live forever. And there are biblical examples of that, actually quite a few. I'll give you a couple of examples. Daniel chapter 3, verse 9 says, they said, this was his, uh, the king's, uh, the king's counselors, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. 
And several more times in the book of Daniel, that line, that same line appears about the king living forever for uh, King Belshazzar of Babylon, who was just like Nebuchadnezzar over Babylon. For King Darius of Persia, the same thing. Oh, king, may you live forever. Uh, there's another example, Bathsheba, who was a wife of King David, the king of Israel. First Kings chapter 1 says this. Uh, Bathsheba was learning that David was going to crown her son Solomon king. And it says, Then Bathsheba uh, bowed down with her face to the ground, prostrating herself before the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. May you live forever. Those words, those words, they sum up everything that could be wished for in this life. And it's beyond mere existence. I don't know, that Brian Johnson, it seems to me it's, he's just living for mere existence. He got, you know, 111 pills a day and all that jazz, it's just to exist. I don't get it, but saying this, May you live forever. I think it expresses more than just existence, but everything in life, all the good things that make up life, uh, family and um, gaining uh, wealth and honor and accomplishments and friends and all that. That's what people seek. And so they say, they'd say to the king, king, may you live forever. And it, it seems there's something very natural in that statement uh, the words express the craving. They express the craving of, for something higher and deeper and more satisfying than anyone ever possessed. That you know you'd have, you'd have immortality. And perhaps uh, people said that out of respect. Uh, perhaps they said it out of fear, and, and that they would wish that upon the most powerful and influential citizen that they had. That's the king. And then what happened? What happened? Every time this was expressed, oh, king, may you live forever. What happened? King died. King died. Generation after generation, monarch after monarch. There was nothing but bad experience and, and sad disappointment that would prove those words totally empty. Just an empty flattery, so, so, so to speak. No king lived forever. But still, still, People would go on uttering these same words. In the Old Testament times, in the minds of the people, there was none more representative of the power and the wisdom, meeting out justice, etc., than the king. To have a king was to have a nation, you know, something to be proud of and to rally around. We got a king, hope I will live forever. And in, in, in the Old Testament, for the nation of Israel, when they didn't have a king, what did they do? They cried out for a king. They cried out for a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8 gives the account of how the people, they just didn't want to be led by God alone, and, and they pastored the prophet Samuel. They pastored him. Give us a king to lead us. Now, when they received their first king, his name was Saul, they invested into him uh, the mantle of royalty. They put a crown on his head. They put a scepter in his hand. 
And when Saul was anointed by the prophet Samuel, there was a big crowd of people that represented every single tribe in Israel. And what did they shout? Long live the king. Kings ruled Israel until they were conquered. And, it, and they were subjected to the rule of a foreign king who at times might scatter the people, at times uh, a king might come in, a foreign king, and occupy the land, take over. And so it happened, so it came to pass, during one of those occupations, Rome, Rome had taken over, occupied Israel, so it happened that a child was born, and that child would be a king. His reign had been anticipated his birth was announced by angels. And when he was born, the yearning of humanity for an everlasting, ever-living king, it received fulfillment. For those loyal subjects of all the former kings who had genuflected before them and offered it up, oh, king, may you live forever. They had to know, they had to know in their heart of hearts, this isn't going to happen. It's just never going to come to pass. No king lived forever. No king was ever immortal. But, but, on the first Christmas day, there was this king, and he was born to set us free. The conqueror was born, the hero for whom uh, there, there had been this longing and a craving and a looking and a waiting and a praying and a hoping. He had come, and he had come to live forever. Now, the one point, the one point I want to drive home this morning is this, that in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, all the desires of humanity after everlasting life, chasing after immortality, Ponce de Leon and the, the fountain of youth and all of that, every single one, all that craving, it's fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Jesus. Why was Jesus born? Why was he born? Was, was it so that he'd be like the rest of every inhabitant on earth who had been born of a woman, that he, that, that he might die and be no more and, and never be seen again and just leave behind a memory? Maybe a monument. Oh, maybe a monument would be built and there'd be some etching on it about his life and visitors would come and honor it and, and the disciples would revere it. But it'd be nothing more than a memorial. Is that why Jesus came? No, not at all. M many, many through the, all that times and epochs and ages have left memories behind them. Oh, people have left books and they've left works and they've left their monuments and their statues and all of it, be they malevolent or benevolent. If all we knew about Jesus was that he was here and he was born and he lived and he died and he left behind some kind of monument or memory to love and to cherish, he would be no different. He'd be no different than all the other kings that where they said, oh, king, may you live forever. But we know, we know much more about Jesus than this. We know that he was born, and we know that he was born to die. However, 
He said, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. So he was born not just to die, but to live forever. His mission was to give his life to rise again. He, he didn't, his mission wasn't to live his life to die uh, so that he could just stay in a tomb moldering away. No, his, his mission was to rise again, to live, to live and to reign as a king forever and ever. Yeah, yeah, the babe of Bethlehem, he passed through death and he did it for all of us. Advent must be followed by Lent. That's a fact. Uh, and Lent culminates how? In Good Friday in the cross, but it's not the end. It's not the end because in three days, the tomb of Joseph was, was emptied and it wasn't the aim of Christ. As the angel descended to announce the birth of Jesus to humble shepherds there and on a night watching their flocks, an angel descended to roll the stone away. And the same angel made an announcement to, to humble women who are approaching the tomb. And they said, Jesus, this Jesus who was crucified is not here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said. And he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. You're going to see the guy that was crucified. And he was put in the tomb. And a rock was rolled in front of it. And it was sealed up. Because Jesus the king is alive. The stone was rolled away and he lives forever. Yes, forever and ever. Our king never dies. Our king never dies. May you live forever, O king. Absolutely. Why? Because of Christmas. Because of Christmas, the immortal God took on mortality so that we mortals could become immortal. Now that's incredible. Whatever you think about it, I think it's incredible. God's word confirms it too. Paul the apostle, he, he wrote to his friend Timothy. And first letter he wrote, he opens with this. It, the tenor of it all is that Timothy's in a funk. Timothy is down. Timothy needs some reassurance about his faith. The fire of his faith seems to have been quenched and, and he's burned out. In the first couple of lines, the, the apostle appeals to Timothy. He's like, hey, Timothy, you got a sincere faith. It came down through your grandmother and your mother and, and to you. Hey, don't be shy or timid, Timothy. Get the, fan the flame of your faith. Get, get the gift of the Holy Spirit working in you again. Come on, Timothy. And then Paul wrote this. It's verses 9 and 10 in the, the opening letter, the opening chapter, after he's just like saying, come on, get the fire going again. He writes this. Timothy, God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has what? Who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And he's like, come on, Timothy, join me in the gospel. 
get with me in the gospel. This is an amazing, incredible thing. Immortality. He, he went on. The end of that chapter, near the end, he wrote the beautiful little benediction that we were singing today out of the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. Be the honor and glory forever. Amen. And then into chapter 2, Paul writes about the promise of living forever in what he called a trustworthy saying. Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying. It's the second chapter, verses 11 through 13. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, if we died with Christ, in other words, if we gave our life over to him, you know, the word of God says we need to die in order to gain life. It means we need to surrender our life. If we've died, give it up our life so that we offer it to Jesus, that we repent of our sins and we turn to him, to follow him. If we've died with him, and then also, if, if we think about water baptism, it's an image of that, that we die and that we're raised to life again. If we've died with him, we will also what? Live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That's a little royal mark there. If, if, we, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's an amazing thing. For he cannot disown himself. That it's, it's such a beautiful promise. It's a trustworthy saying. The apostle Peter wrote something similar in his first letter, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. There is that. It connects with reigning. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The apostles tell, they, they tell of this incredible truth that those who are truly united with Christ, you've given your life, you've connected with him, you're in relationship with him, that it, 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 those who are united with Christ and persevere in the faith, they'll live immortal, they'll be immortal, and, and reign, reign with him. Again, what were we singing this morning? Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. He reigns. He reigns. And the word of God says we are going to reign with him. Reigning with Jesus. This implies a, a kingship, a royalty. And we may not often think of ourselves as royalty that's going to rule over creation. But the results of our redemption, the results of our salvation flows directly from what uh, Jesus has accomplished for us in repairing what was fatally fractured in the Garden of Eden where, where sin entered the world. God made us. He made us. You go back to Genesis. He made us to have dominion over creation, to, to be rulers for his glory. And our ability to fulfill that purpose it was altered by uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and it resulted in what? Death. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote, death came through a man, Adam. In Adam, we all die, but in Christ, we've been made alive. Christ is said to be an heir to the throne of heaven. And in Christ, we're, we're joint heirs. The word of God says we're joint heirs. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus. We share in that. Incredible. And, and the apostles write, we're going to reign with him. You know, and Timothy uh, and, and Peter, we're a, we're a 
a, a royal generation. We share in this royalty and we share in the victory that Jesus achieved over death. We are joint heirs in that too. Because he lives, we also live. Forever. Immortal. Let it sink in. You may not think it every day. You may not think it when your knees are hurting. You may not think it when that, oh, can't lift that like I used to. We are immortal. Paul wrote, this mortal must put on immortality. I know, it, it just it warps the mind. It can't fully be fathomed, but it's true. Jesus Christ, our king, book of Revelation says he has made us kings. And he is the king, eternal, immortal. And we who are in him, we must be immortal too. That is a promise. Christmas. Christmas then, while it reveals the, the true nature of our king, it also reveals our destiny, our own destiny. Consider that when you were born again, you took possession of an endless being forever. You're going to live. We exist now, and we shall exist even as Jesus, who was born some 2,000 years ago, yet he's alive today. We will be alive through all eternity. We can, uh, we can declare it. We can announce it. Oh, King, live forever. And there's an assertion there, and it asserts something far, far greater uh, than the best wishes of uh, some deferential reverence and honor that was made to some king that was going to die. It asserts an immutable truth. When we say it about Jesus, the truth that the king who is alive forever has rendered us capable of immortality. Let Christmas be the reminder of that. Let Christmas Day remind us that his birth opened an entrance to life, not death. That immortal we are and immortal we must be. Our, our life in the here and now, when, and when we view it in light of the incarnation, Christ becoming flesh and blood, it's a prelude not to death, but to life, but to life everlasting. Death will be as powerless over us as it was over him. Death cannot destroy our body. Yes, I know. Dust you are to dust you shall return. But there is a great, great promise about that not staying forever. Death cannot destroy our body. Death doesn't destroy our soul. People like Paul or Brian uh, Johnson who who's searching for this everlasting life, this immortality, he's doing it in vain. He's doing it in vain because he's doing it in this human way. And he can pour in his millions and his millions and his efforts. He might have some momentary uh, effect. Maybe he, he got a few wrinkles off of his face or whatever. But let me tell you, in the end, they're going to be totally fruitless. Brian Johnson will die. All of us will die. But those who are in Christ, those who die in Christ, they got the assurance. They got an assurance that will never, ever fail. And that assurance is death is nothing but a transition. It's a transition to life. 
for the thing that is innate in every human about living forever. In Christ, death is a transition to life. This mortal must put on immortality. Let me tell you how the, how the apostle wrote it. He said, the first man was of the dust of the earth. This is 1 Corinthians 15. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. The first man was Adam. That's what he's referring to. The second man is Jesus. That's who he's referring to. The first man, Adam, was the dust of the earth. The second man, Jesus, was of heaven. As was the earthly man, Adam, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, Jesus, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit eternal, uh, the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. He's, he's telling us, he's, he's sharing with us some of the incomparable things about God and what he's promised for us. Listen, I share with you a mystery. We will all not sleep or remain dead, but we'll be changed in a moment, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. The mortal flesh blood must must be clothed with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Listen, it's coming. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone who says they're in Christ. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that victory yours today? Are you immortal? Are you immortal? Can you say it? Can you believe it? Are you going to walk out of here, you know, maybe hurting a knee or feeling something and say, I don't care, I'm immortal. You know what? You can latch onto that. It is a promise. It's a promise that is firm and true, regardless of what anybody says about it. And listen, if you got two million bucks, don't put it in, in, into like vegetables and supplements. You, you know, when I was reading this article about this Johnson guy, there was a doctor, and the, uh, the doctor said, this is, it's never going to happen. If he wants immortality, he should go to a church. And you know what I say? If he wants, <laughs> but it's got to be the right church. It's got to be the church preaching Jesus. Jesus, the immortal one. That's it. Gosh, come on. That's the only way. Let's celebrate it. I want to celebrate it. Let's celebrate the victory. The victory, thanks be to God, he gives us the victory over the sting of death. Immortal. This mortal must put on immortality. Let's celebrate it. Jesus died. The mortal who was immortal first then proved immortality. He died for us. And let's celebrate the immortality we have in Christ as we sit down at the communion table. Get, get, get your bread prepared, hold it. We are gonna pray over it. We'll eat it together. Uh, if you have a little child here, just don't, 
please don't put on them something they don't understand. Our, our supper, our communion time here is for every believer who's come to Christ. Because I got a relationship with Jesus. And I can declare, yes, I received the promises that have been talked about today. Now, as we hold this bread, let's remind ourselves again what the great apostle taught us about this. He said, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If we got any memorial for Jesus, we got this lasting memorial about his death and the giving of his body. But it's not some shallow, hollow memorial made out of stone uh, a rock with some etching on it. No, no, it's a memorial about our ever-living King of kings and Lord of lords who won for us immortality. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after supper, Jesus took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread or drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. So take a minute to meditate on what Jesus has done for you in the giving of his life. The mortal who felt pain and suffering, real pain, and he, he did it for you, and then he beat out death to win for you immortality. Ponder that, meditate on it, and, and if there's anything in you that needs to say, I gotta discern that better. I need to, I, I need to really just honor what Jesus has done for me. And there's something that might be between you and him. Do what the word says. Examine yourself. And let's do that before we pray over this bread. Take a few minutes to do that. I don't know if there's anyone in this room who hasn't, you haven't connected, you haven't, you're not assured of that immortality. questioning it, you don't know, you're not sure, you've never really, really come to Jesus Christ and have been assured that you can have eternal life. You don't have to rush out this morning. As I pray and we close the service, I just, I welcome you. You step forward, you come, if you come to the front here, we have people who talk to you pray with you, explain things to you, if you're questioning, if it just, it's like, I just don't get it, I've never, I can't, it's true, as much as it's incredible, it's credible, you're mortal, but you can be immortal, receive Jesus, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the great, great gift we have in Jesus, who's coming to this earth, has bestowed upon us eternal life. And Lord, we are appreciative of that. We're grateful for that. We love you for it. Nothing we can do on our own behalf 
With millions and millions of dollars, we can chase it, we'll never get it. It's only through Jesus. And we thank you for him. We are just grateful. May we leave here with that tremendous assurance, sealed and solid. We are his. We have that co-reigning promise that we're his and we'll reign with him eternally as immortal as he is. Thank you, God. Thank you. Now raise your hands for the the closing blessing. God, bless your people. Bless your people. Bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them, be gracious unto them. Lift up your countenance upon every single one and grant them peace. And may the peace of Almighty God keep every heart and mind and soul through our Lord and our Savior, the risen eternal one, Jesus. Amen. Amen.